Hey Wizards and welcome back to the Wizards of Ecom podcast. This is Naomi, your host. Today I have on none other than Chris McAbee. Chris is a former Amazonian who helps sellers communicate with Amazon to protect and save their businesses. After working for Amazon for many, many years, evaluating seller account performance and enforcing Amazon policies, Chris launched his business called e-commerce Greece, where he teaches sellers how to think like Amazon, protect their accounts, and appeal listing restrictions and suspensions. Chris is also a fellow podcaster and host of the Seller Performance Solution Podcast. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to talking to you. Same here, same here. So you are infamous about, as I was saying, everyone is like, oh, refer to Chris. Is something wrong with their account? Refer to Chris. So I'm so happy to have you on. And as we had a chance to discuss just a bit before hitting recording officially, um, today's topic, it's going to be not necessarily how to prevent any suspensions, but how to become the best partner when it comes to doing things as Amazon wants. Since you've been like on the inside, you know how Amazon thinks and Ideally, also any sellers who is starting on Amazon, that would be also a good way for them to understand why is Amazon taking specific uh, steps in order to um, prevent whatever is happening on their platform and how mm-hmm. to become an ideal partner. Yeah, so for people starting now, um, it's not quite the same universe as it was a few years ago. It's really hard. Not, not everyone wants to hear this right out of the gate, but it's yeah. really hard to start now simply because Amazon likes to assume that everyone knows everything already about yeah. selling and what they, what they assume that you know, anything left over, they think is in their seller central pages, help pages or seller university. So whatever they haven't told you, they expect you to know or find out yourself. So there's no learning by doing, there's no Hey, we're new. We had some initial mistakes or we had some problems in the beginning. Amazon's perspective is you shouldn't have as many problems in the beginning because you should ask all those questions before you list anything Mm. and before you start. And they also kind of expect you to have capital and resources ready to go for ads. It's not just for what we do in terms of troubleshooting things, because if you're we hear from a lot of sellers who are only two weeks in or three weeks in and they already have to troubleshoot an ASIN suspension or listing problems, or in some cases, their whole account is shut down. And Amazon's very unsympathetic about that because they expect that you would have researched all of this before you even started and not everyone does. Or they expect you to be experts on the products you're selling, Um, whether you're making your own products as a private label brand or you're sourcing uh, to resell the items or you're a brand registered agent for the brand, you've got an authorized relationship with the brand. They want you to do all the work so that they don't have to teach you anything. That's their perspective. They might not say that in the beginning, the recruiting people, the business development people like to say in the beginning, they like to say that there's all kinds of tools and all kinds of people and all kinds of ways that they will help you. Mm. That's the recruitment pitch. A lot of those people disappear as soon as you start selling. Um, You're on your own, really. I mean, there's a lot of services out there. There's consultants like us. There are sites, there are software tools, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, It's just, they don't want you to learn by doing, they want you to master these things before you even start. And that sounds counterintuitive for people, first of all, for people who learn by doing, but also uh, the rest of the world, you are given the opportunity to make some initial business mistakes. Amazon doesn't like it because they think you're putting their buyers at risk when you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And you could also be putting Amazon at risk so, for example, if you're selling something hazardous or unsafe, or if you're 
committing policy violations right of the way, right, right away, they, it means to them that they can't trust you. And if you're even doing things that aren't lawful, they, it means they can't trust you. So Amazon doesn't want to have to worry about you. They don't want to have to look at you, <laughs> look at your account. They're happy to take their commission. They, they will collect your FBA fees. They will charge you for an account manager, whatever it is, but they don't want to have to um, maintain you and administer you. They expect you to maintain yourself and to keep an eye on your own operations and to administer your own business. So it's a little bit hard for new business owners. I usually encourage people to get, get their feet wet in e-commerce by selling on their own site or doing other kinds of business ownership first before they sell on Amazon, because Amazon can be a really rough introduction to business. Mm -hmm. I love that was super blunt. It was super upfront. And I love that. And I think that most sellers are really not aware of what you were saying. And most of them are just like complaining that Amazon did this and Amazon did that. And like, again, it's like, yes, while you understand it, but I also think I like to think from the other perspective as well. Right. So Mm -hmm. I love to benefit as much as possible from Amazon. But if I'm still on their playground like i'm still a small kid just playing there and benefiting just a small drop of whatever they are going Mm -hmm. to offer to me right so i i love that you put it also like mentioned it for them it's really important for you already to know your stuff and they are looking at you as business maybe most sellers are not even aware that they are businesses right so i loved how you put it that you should be also aware of whatever is going to happen on the platform be prepared for that totally agree the short version is it's not a partnership it's like you're the employee they're the boss or you're the child and they're the parent that's a much better way of looking at it Mm. because if they think you're doing something that's going to make trouble for them they think you can be replaced whatever you're selling whatever relationships you have with suppliers all of it could be replaced by a different seller so Mm. to them sellers are expendable it's not popular to say this uh amazon might not admit to it in public but that is you can tell in their everyday operations that that's how they want to run the marketplace, let's say. And so you just have to really understand their perspective, you know, their motivations, sometimes their selfish interests, what, what their intentions are for this marketplace. And it's not just as simple as, well, why don't they let us sell? Because they're getting, you know, a percentage of all of our sales anyway. So why would they stop us from making them money? That's one way of looking at it. It's not necessarily Amazon's way of looking at it. Mm yeah super interesting and again i love that you're so upfront about it so in this in this case scenario okay let's say we are uh, the real deal we are a brand we are coming to amazon we understand all these things still uh, maybe an ACN suspension happens or any kind yeah. of suspension happens what would be the way how to understand what seller performance is investigating on their end the, the first problem that most sellers face is that the message that amazon sends is so generic and in such a canned, you know, written language that it doesn't really tell you anything. Mm-hmm. It tells you that your listing is down. The, the why, the how, the who, the what, all of that's missing, right? You have to kind of go get it. So if it's about the quality of the product that you sold, if you had a lot of complaints from buyers, this isn't the quality I paid for, or this isn't the condition that I paid for because it's supposed to be a new item and this item doesn't look new. Whatever the complaints are, Amazon gives you access to lots of data in Seller Central, lots of reports, lots of resources so that you can look at voice of the customer, you can look at return reasons, you can look for any consistent signs of trouble or signs of complaints from brand, uh, I'm sorry, from buyers about your brand not being as it was expected, right? 
Um, so you can base an appeal on, okay, we identified the quality control problem or our quality control company wasn't doing a good job. We replaced them with another, you know, process, another company, another person, whatever it might be. You can do a lot of research on your own without bugging Amazon every five minutes for tell me more, tell me more. You can do that too, but first look at yourself, you know, look at yourself in the mirror, look at your own operations look at the complaints against those particular products. If there are no complaints, if you have to call account health services and get information from them, don't just have a general conversation. Don't call up and say, hey, what do you want us to do? Or, hey, we need some help. We, we got the message, we don't know what to do. Have very specific questions. Plan on controlling the conversation with account health reps. <laughs> I mean, don't put words in their mouth because if you start volunteering things and suggesting things, then they might say, oh, okay, yeah, that's what it is and you're saving them the work of going and looking it up for you. Mm -hmm. Make sure they put you on hold and they actually look in your account and look at the account annotations and push them to give you accurate, detailed information. But let's just say there's no annotations on the account. Um, you need some questions ready for them because you wanna understand the type of appeal, the nature of the appeal you need to send. You're not looking for them to write it for you. You don't wanna ask them to give you phrases. What should I put in the appeal? What should I say? because I get that too. And I'm not an account health rep at Amazon. <laughs> I have a lot of people who email us or, or call me and they say, well, you know, just tell me what to write. Well, that's not really what this exercise is about. It's, is there a problem? What's the nature of the problem? How can you identify it? How can you dissect it in terms of the causes? How can you present solutions, right? That's what most of the appeals process is about convincing Amazon that you found the problem you found some immediate fixes and you've already put them into place. And then the rest of the appeal is how are you going to make sure this doesn't happen again? How, how, how will you troubleshoot problems early in the process so that there won't be 10 or 12 or 14 complaints. And so Amazon doesn't have to come find you and tell you there's a problem. You already know there's a problem and you identify it and fix it before they even ask you for an appeal. That's the kind of seller Amazon wants. They don't come out and say all this <laughs> necessarily. Um, I mean, I've been doing this for what, 13 out of the last 14 years, whether it's for Amazon or working for myself as a consultant. So I can talk all day long this way. They have to kind of keep to the script and they can't tell you too much because they don't want to make it look like they're doing your homework for you. And they want you, I mean, you started this whole conversation. What kind of seller does Amazon want? They want you to be an expert on your own products and they want you to be an expert on your own business. And they want you to be an expert within the category that you sell. Well, what does that mean? It means they don't want to have to do the work for you to identify what the problems are. They want you to be double checking things. Or like I said, with quality control, if your quality control isn't great, they want you to fight, figure that out and you improve it before they have to do something like suspend your account. That's really what this is about in a nutshell. Like you're your own boss mm -hmm. <laughs> so that they don't have to boss you around. You're able to figure out, hey, this isn't going that great. And Amazon's got really high standards for sellers, even in ways that they might not have for themselves, they expect the best from sellers. And until that changes, you have to make sure that your performance, your obedience with policy, um, your understanding of what Amazon wants and how to deliver that experience is top notch. And it doesn't really go down that much. I mean, you can, things happen to business owners. Um, not, not everything's perfect, things go wrong, but you can't have something once a month going wrong, like maybe once yeah. a year or once every two years. Um, but you know how to fix something when it goes wrong. You don't just sort of sit there like, I don't know how this happened, but why is Amazon being so unfair to me? That sort of thing. 
Yeah, I, I really love, as I was saying, I love your approach because most of the time I see a lot of victim mindset when it, when it comes to Amazon, right? So this is what happened to me, like what's next, right? And mm -hmm. we understand that as well because come on, like I'm also, I have zero background in e-commerce. I came like three, uh, almost four years ago in e-commerce, started out and said, I'm still learning, right? So mm -hmm. I'm sure that you are also still learning because things are changing, right? Yeah. But we don't necessarily have that business mindset. We created that business mindset, right? So I think mm -hmm. that's also very important as you were saying. So in in light of that, do you have like an idea which which can be like maybe a checklist that one can create in order okay i checked on a weekly basis this 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 everything is going well or something happened okay let's go on and let's let's talk to chris or let's talk to someone who can help with that yeah i mean and we've got a lot of this on you mentioned our podcast solid performance solutions that leah and i uh, talk about quite a bit um and a lot of articles about it in terms of the same things keep coming up over and over. And I can run through a few of them right now. Um, intellectual property is huge. Um, if you have your own private label brand, setting it up right in the beginning, in the first place, so that you're not vulnerable to a competitor reporting you um, for you know not having your brand trademarked, not being in brand registry, not copywriting your images and detail page content. That's another big one that a lot of brand owners don't do. Mm -hmm. um, this just opens you up to attack and there's lots of abuse. I'll go into that a little bit later, sure. um, but there are lots of ways that people can attack you now and Amazon won't always understand that you're being attacked or they won't always care that you're being attacked because they don't really have robust processes and teams to investigate the nature of these attacks, which could be very complex. They don't really want to spend all their time on that. But on your side, you can't prevent everything bad from happening on Amazon, but you can reduce the odds that you're going to waste a lot of time on that stuff or face a listing suspension that shouldn't have happened. If your intellectual property is sound, you have an IP attorney, for example. I mean, I'm not an attorney, but you have an IP attorney, not just an attorney that dabbles in intellectual property, somebody who's an expert in intellectual property, like for a patent or a design complaint, right? Well, you probably want to talk to an attorney who's an expert on design and patent law, not just a random attorney. That's another good example. Um, supply chain documentation is huge right now. As time goes on, Amazon's been stricter and stricter in terms of accepting invoices. I'm sure you hear about this all the time uh suppliers being verifiable or not verified mm -hmm. they love to say your supplier can't be verified and they deny your entire appeal mm -hmm. based on that which your whole account could be down yeah. and and it's kind of a silly reason to have an appeal denied like your supplier not having a website amazon insists on every supplier anywhere in the world any supplier you use has to have a website they have to use that to verify their existence as a legitimate supplier for the types of products that you're getting from them um, or just to show that you're doing business with a legitimate company, a legitimate supplier. Um, it's just a box they have to check. And if they can't check that box, you're much more likely to have a miserable time on Amazon. I still hear from sellers buying product from suppliers or having uh, manufacturers and factories that don't have websites making their products. It's just an unnecessary risk for you to take that. Uh, also invoices still say, sometimes they still say pro forma at the top or commercial invoice at the top, right? And it's just like, that's an automatic rejection. So even if you're new, and even if you're trying to learn as you go, you have to understand that you don't wanna start piling up the rejections before you even get to the point where they'll take your appeal seriously, because these types of things are avoidable. Supply chain documentation has to be very detailed. You can't have the quantity missing. You can't have the date be over 365 days. 
it really helps for your supplier to have their website right on the invoice, to have the contact name right there, to have their phone num number right there on the invoice so that Amazon, if they call your supplier, can ask for that person. I know this sounds kind of basic, but you'd be surprised how many people miss this stuff. And it can make the difference between a denied appeal and an accepted appeal. Um, no, I, I love it, but this is what I'm asking, like for, you yeah. say that it's basic, but most of the time, like no one would think of the things that have not happened to them. So this is why I love to yeah. go as basic as possible because fundamentals are really mm -hmm. crucial. So if of fundamentals course. are not there, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter how good your listing is or how much and don't money. assume. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And make no assumptions. Don't don't assume that Amazon knows about your supplier. Don't assume that they're going to call your supplier. Don't assume that they've looked through your sales history and they know you've been a seller for three years and don't assume that they know that you sell 7 million a year. Don't assume anything. Treat it like this is your first interaction with the company. They don't know anything about you. They don't care. And you're going to make them care and you're going to make them pay attention and you're going to give them all the details. And you're going to include all the attachments every time. Even if they say, don't send us all the attachments, send us one thing, send them the attachments again. Why is that? Because they love to miss stuff and they love to annotate on the account. Well, they didn't send the invoice and, and th they didn't look back to see that you sent it last time, right? So send it again, because that person might not go back and review the history. Um, so no assumptions. And also don't expect that you're dealing with an expert level Amazonian. It could be somebody, it's their first day on the job, right? Um, so make it very clear. And you don't add a lot of extra info that's not the topic, that's off topic. You have to really stick to the point simply because they have so little time to devote to you and they have so little time to read your appeal or open the attachments or try to verify your supplier or look at the invoice. It's all crunched into a small amount of time. And the harder you make it and the more and the worse your communication with them is, the worse, you know, ultimately it's the worse for you because you'll have the appeal denied if they if they say, I don't have time for this and they throw it away. So your communication has to be 100% great. Their communication will never be over a certain amount. You know, maybe it'll be 50% great or 25% great. Don't worry about them. You can't control their communication so much. All you can do is control what you give them. Point in the right direction. If you have to circle things, you circle things, right? If in the first two sentences of your appeal, you say, this is what we have attached. This is why we attached it. You asked for it. This is why we're replying with this information even the basic stuff, make sure you keep it very clear and very concise because they miss stuff a lot. There isn't a lot of evidence that they are auditing their own people. And if they are auditing the investigation quality, let's say, they're not doing a very good job. They're kind of skimming through it. It's very cookie cutter. Um, it's not effective. And the investigators know that. And they, or they at least act like they're, that no one's looking over their shoulder because you see so many mistakes. Um, some of them might be honest mistakes, but it's just, you know, subpar training, not a lot of oversight, the same thing that you might see um, at any company. Definitely, definitely. And I, I also think like, as you were saying, being clear, being concise, like question, what's like, how much is the percentage of people who are getting super emotional whenever they are reaching out first? I am super curious to know. Reaching out that. to us? Not necessarily, but yeah. they don't know what they're doing. They're reaching out to, to Amazon like, this is not my mistake. This is not my fault. It's whatever, you know, like most of the time yeah. people are super emotional because it's money and money is emotional. It, money is emotional, but it's also shock and surprise. They mm -hmm. weren't expect whatever happened. Usually they weren't expecting it. And if they were expecting it, they weren't expecting it so soon or they weren't expecting it that day. 
um, or they simply think it's all unfair. Yeah. You know, Amazon's being unfair. Uh, the nature of Amazon's communication is very vague. That doesn't help. Um, it's one thing to be surprised by somebody, but if that person's very specific and very direct in their communication, life is a lot easier because you at least know what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. With sellers and business owners, it's the fear of the unknown. The fear of how long will this last? Is this a one day suspension, one week or one month? And they start tallying up the numbers in their head. You know, well, if we're down for a month, then that's 500,000 in lost revenue. If it's two months, it's 2 million in lost revenue, whatever that number is. So it's the fear of the unknown. And unfortunately, Amazon encourages fear of the unknown because their communication is so vague and so generic and lacks all the details that you need in order to feel reassured that you know how to solve it. Yeah. That's where that comes from, I think. So I completely understand the emotion that people want to use on the phone and people want to put on paper or in an email or, or in an appeal. The problem is you get no mileage out of that emotion. You get no benefit from it. It might, it might motivate you to be aggressive in solving the problem. So it's good in that sense, but it's not good in communication. Don't use emotion, be factual. Talk about um, the numbers of, like if you're doing an escalation, for example, you sent an appeal, they reject it. They don't tell you why they reject it. They love to do this. You can even talk to account health reps to try to find out exactly why an appeal is rejected and they'll be vague or they'll be inconsistent or they'll give you guesses and bad answers, or they'll simply say, there's no annotations on your account. We mm -hmm. Our account health reps, we don't know why you were rejected. We don't even have the info. So that's very scary to hear. Yeah. Um, the problem is you can't waste time with emotion. You have to talk about how many days you've been down, how much money you've lost, how many appeals you've sent in, how many different answers they've given you to appeals, how there's no information on why your appeals have been denied. Um, if you have an account manager that you're paying for every month, well, we talked to our account manager. They opened up an internal ticket. They don't know. You know, they can't get any information those kinds of bulleted lists of dates and people that you've talked to or appeals you've sent in um the denials the amount of time that's gone by the amount of money lost that's what matters to these people mm -hmm. because that's factual and data-driven info there's nothing data-driven or factual about emotion unfortunately emotion might motivate them to read something um but there's the right kind of emotion and the wrong kind of emotion um we see a lot of people sending different things to different email addresses that they see on the seller forums or in their Facebook group. Um, and they think that if they make the emotion louder and louder and louder every time that eventually that emotion will carry through to the right person and some, and it'll find somebody who cares. That's what a lot of people tell us. We want to find somebody who cares. Uh, it's a low percentage play. Sometimes maybe one out of a hundred times the emotion will carry you through and it will get somebody to read it. I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. And again, I've been doing this for over a dozen years. I think it's the factual information paired with everything they've asked you to give them that will get an appeal accepted and get the account or the ASIN reinstated. Um, because your emotion might be taking up space in like an email <laughs> yeah. and the factual stuff might be at the bottom. So they don't even get down to the bottom, right? Yeah, 100%, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think this is very important because as I was saying, yeah, it is an, an emotional thing and it's important mm -hmm. to see um, how someone else sees whatever you're going through because for them, it's like not necessarily lost, right? So, but based on that, I'm curious to know what are not necessarily predictions, but what are the things that you think this year, 2023, are going to happen even more often? when it comes to sellers, either suspensions, either IP infringement, IP complaints or whatever, or 
based on the clientele that you currently have, if you can give yeah. a prediction, maybe. Oh, for sure. Um, there'll be more attacks like fake product recalls or um, fake IP complaints are a constant, whether it's trademark, design, patent, or copyright. Um, those are going to keep coming in because when Amazon receives an IP complaint, they feel like they have to act to protect their own liability and um, they often just take the listing down and then wait for what your reaction is. Um, so the IP complaints are going to continue. I also think the marketplace is just more competitive and not everyone has you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on ads. So I think some of the brands that are falling behind in sales rank are trying to go back to the old tricks of like product reviews, trying to boost their five-star reviews. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing some people getting punished for that. Uh, we haven't seen as many account suspensions for fake product reviews as we did in 2021 or 2020, but that seems to be coming back because a lot of sellers don't know how to market themselves or they don't understand influencer marketing that well. They don't understand off Amazon marketing. And so they're trying to rely on product reviews. It's their crutch to maintain their sales rank. And that's not really the Amazon that I believe we're living with now. Yeah. Um, but I see them going back to, we're losing ground, we're losing sales. We have to hire a company. We have to hire a service. And so many brands got suspended in past years because they hired a service. They had no idea whether or not policies were being violated by those practices. All they did was ask the service, are you TOS compliant? <laughs> and of course it's like, yeah, very naive to do yeah. this. And of yeah. course the answer was yes, of course, we only follow Amazon's rules. And then they followed none of the rules because they wanted the money. Um, so be very, scrutinize any service, any third-party service provider you use, any software tool you use. Be very aware of who's signing into your account, who's helping you do these things. Make sure they understand policies. Don't just say, we don't know the rules, we don't know how to be compliant, but we hired somebody to do that for us. The, the responsibility always rests with the business owner and with the seller. You can't appeal uh, blaming a service that you hired because Amazon just thinks that you're blaming yourself. <laughs> you're blaming yourself, but not taking responsibility. That's the worst part. Um, if you're going to point fingers, they'll just reject it. They don't have time for stuff like that. So one prediction is certainly more people trying to get a company to do their product reviews for them, um, but also a failure to understand that competitors will buy from you and make complaints. And it won't just be a couple of negative uh, fake reviews, like negative one-star reviews. Um, they could be trying to mess, it, mess with your backend keywords. They could be trying to mess with your async contributions. I know there's a lot of new sellers out there that don't quite understand backend keyword abuse, or maybe they don't use flat files, or maybe they don't understand what detail page abuse is, but learn this stuff as quickly as you can. Because if you've got a competitor that thinks they can make more money by getting your listing taken down, and, and especially if they don't think you know how to appeal it or that you don't know how to get reinstated, that's even more money to them because you'll be down for a month instead of a week, right? Learn this stuff now expecting to be attacked. Even if you don't get attacked all of 2023, and I hope no brand that's hearing me now gets attacked. But if you anticipate that you might be attacked, you're ready for the attack when it happens and you can appeal it faster, you can identify it faster, also, you can point it out to Amazon faster in terms of reporting it to abuse teams or talking to account health reps and pointing out what's going on and getting some of these things annotated on your account. Believe me, this helps. <laughs> I'm not just saying this as random tips. This will cut the timeline and reduce the amount of time you're suspended. 
And also it means you have to appeal fewer times. So if you can get this done in two or three appeals versus six, not only are you saving yourself the time, uh, the time off the platform and the time of missed sales, you're, you're reducing the number of appeals or the time you have to spend writing appeals. Um, so you do have to kind of watch your back. It's just that kind of, you know, greed means people are willing to resort to fraudulent tactics, unfortunately. So be ready for those. And also fraudulent attacks or black hat attacks are very trendy. They're very cyclical. It changes like month to month. So be aware of this stuff. I guess that's a good kind of tip for the entire year, especially if you're new is stay on top of like the knowledgeable people blogs and the podcasts where uh, they talk about what the current trend is because you might be worried about something that hasn't happened for six months and you might not be aware of how people are attacking each other now. Um, so stay current. Um, don't just stay in your own little bubble. Yeah, hundred percent. I couldn't say, say, say that more. That's really, that's, that's why we created this episode, right? Really understanding how to can, how you can prevent that and how you can be really prepared. Uh, it's yes, funny that exactly. it's funny that you were saying that uh, most of the time, I think that some people who don't really have the guts to do all kind of like shady stuff, they mm -hmm. don't even think that that's possible, right? And only when you're on Amazon, you will see, hey, people, for them, it's like, it's just money and they don't care. So I think that's really important what you were saying, be prepared and be prepared that the game is going to be played by someone else's rules, right? So just that's, I think, super important. Yeah, any successful brand should expect that it, even if they're not being attacked today, that somebody's watching their sales and watching their success. And usually they will have a competitor or more than one who believes that abuse is normal, that, abu that abuse is tolerated on Amazon or that Amazon looks the other way um, or that Amazon doesn't care. And that just encourages more black hat abuse, right? And like you said, money's at stake. And if somebody thinks that they can double their sales and reduce yours, if they're willing to employ some of these tactics, Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually somebody will come along that thinks that you are vulnerable. The, the good news is they'll lose interest in you if you are a hard target and not a soft target. They will move on to a softer target in another category, or they will move on to a softer seller in your category. If they think that you know how to fight back and you know how to report what they're doing, even if you don't know it's them, even if you don't know exactly what they're doing, but you know how to report abuse itself, the practice of abuse, and you know where to report it. I mean, we could do a whole next episode on where to report abuse or just how to identify 100%, abuse. 100%, yeah. But it's the people who open the cases with support or complain or say, it's Amazon. Amazon's doing this to me. Amazon's attacking me. Amazon's unfair to me. It could be that a competitor is the one doing it. And Amazon just doesn't know or doesn't care or doesn't pay attention. But that's kind of on you to put it in front of them. Don't expect them you know, to, to do all the running and all the research and all the homework and to take care of you, right? Yeah. They're not going to take care of you. You have to take care of yourself on this marketplace. 100%. Chris, are there any questions about this topic that I should have asked and I haven't? No, I mean, I think the best point you made was in the first couple of sentences, decide what kind of seller you want to be and also what kind of seller Amazon expects. And also decide how much of it you want to control and monitor and evaluate yourself versus like outsourcing to someone else. Because even if you have third-party services doing things for you, you should still stay on top of what they're doing for you. Absolutely. You are the seller of record. Absolutely. And that goes even for consultancies like mine. I mean, if I'm handling somebody's appeals for reinstatement, that party should be interested in what I'm doing for them. They shouldn't just say, well, 
you know, call me in a couple of weeks when we're reinstated and, and we'll just walk away and you'll handle everything and we'll go to sleep. Be actively involved in the management of your business, even if you're, you know, working with an agency, let's say, be involved in the, your communications with Amazon and also be involved in your operations, right? Um, where the products are manufactured, what your quality control looks like. Uh, for example, do you have random samples of batches going to you? Not just everything goes to FBA and you forget about it all out of sight of all out of mind. Do you have some of those samples going to you to make sure that you can keep your manufacturer or your factory honest in the quality of the goods that they promised you? So you have to be very hands-on and very involved in that business. And that's not just like the owner of the company is the person who's always opening up the seller support cases yeah. or the one calling account health. I don't mean that. Yeah. Um, what I mean is if you get stuck anywhere in the process of appealing something, you don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over. A lot of sellers, we're, we're still surprised, seven, eight, eight and a half years in, we're still surprised how many people appeal the same way over and over and just think like, seventh time is the charm or ninth time is the charm. Mm -hmm. um, you have to change and make unique custom communications with Amazon. If you send them templates, it's like standing up and waving and saying, I didn't do my homework teacher. I want you to punish me. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Um, or like wearing a, a bright red shirt in a sea of people wearing white t-shirts. You're sticking out. Like, oh, that's the person that doesn't care about their business, or that's the person who didn't feel like writing a custom appeal for us. Why should we read it? You know, garbage in, garbage out, yeah. right? If you send in a, a canned, canned generic template to Amazon, they're going to send you a canned generic template back saying they can't take it, so. Great advice. So to be super respectful of your time before we yeah. are wrapping up, a few questions I'd love to ask, I guess. Of course. First one goes like this. What is a $50 or less investment you recently made in order to understand better seller support? Now, considering that you have seven to eight, eight years already here, it's like, duh, but something that someone else could also try out. A, a $50 or less um, investment. investment to improve your dealings with seller support? Yeah, or, or... The, your general knowledge about seller support, or I don't know, maybe you found a cool newsletter and you subscribed or something that is. I mean, I, well, I've, I mean, this is kind of, this is a cheaper than $50 tip, but I encourage everyone to keep a phone log of who, not seller support because they track that for you, account health services, um, date and time you call and the name of the person you talk to. Most sellers I talk to don't do this. Keep in, keep a Google sheet handy and mention those names, uh, keep a record of those names because you can mention them later when you call back or if you get an escalation to a supervisor or if you have to email and appeal in later, you can mention those people by name and say how long you talk to them. You can't reproduce the entire conversation, but you can have a short summary. Um, all of this can be accomplished in a very quick Google sheet, by the way, name, time of day, uh, duration of the call and a short summary of what you talk to them about because that can become the bulleted list of everything you've done as it piles up because when you start escalating it you can give them the bulleted list of everything you've done and you can use the sheet not not necessarily putting the sheet contents into the appeal but you can use the information in that sheet to show amazon that you took it seriously you pursued a solution you tried to get more information and you didn't get what you needed to appeal so love it great definitely price. under 50 dollars. <laughs> definitely under 50 dollars. Yeah. only a bit of of time and willingness mm -hmm. What are your top three favorite books and why do you love them? 
Yeah, top three favorite books. Usually for uh, Amazon sellers, I say Working Backwards by Colin Breyer um, because <laughs> he worked at Amazon, right? He worked, I think he was one of Jeff's shadows, right? I haven't actually met him in person, but the Working Backwards book to understand the Amazon executive mindset. How does the top of the company work? Because that's what the escalation process is all about. When you escalate, you're going higher and higher within Amazon to try to get, to try to increase the odds that somebody will review your appeal take it seriously and handle it appropriately. Uh, so working backwards is one. Um, there's a novel from about a hundred years ago. I love to bring up. It's by an American author named Frank Norris. Mm -hmm. He wrote a book called the octopus. Um, and that's just kind of about, it's not about big tech, of course, but it's about big business run wild, run crazy. And I think it's a good novel to understand um, how once businesses get to a certain size, they take on a life of their own, you know, um, and it's just an excellent way to understand um, the people at the top of a business don't necessarily know how everything's working below them all the time, every day. There's not enough hours in the day and there's too many employees and there's too many tools and there's too many processes. Um, and also it gives you a sense of you kind of have to take care of yourself when you're dealing with a big company. You can't expect a big company to be compassionate. That's a good PR slogan. Um, but that's not necessarily the way the way they act. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I also I usually um, I'm trying to remember the name of this book. Uh, it's I think it's called Lying for Money, okay. and it's about fraud and how the history of fraud, but also how people get away with fraud. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember the author's name because I just started it, but I really love it because it takes you through the whole history of how people have tried to lie, cheat and steal for money over the decades or over the centuries. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's books back in like ancient Rome in terms of how people used to steal from each other. Uh, the methods have changed as technology improved. And as we got into the Internet and e-commerce, the themes and the concepts are the same, <laughs> which is you know, don't be gullible, don't trust people, keep an eye on everyone. When it comes to business, not everybody's your best friend, right? Um, take everything you, you hear with a grain of salt and understand that if you make yourself into a soft target, people will try to manipulate you to at least make money where you're not making money or to try to get money out of you. Um, and I think even if people are new on Amazon, it doesn't mean that they don't have like street smarts. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and if for some reason you're a really nice person who never developed street smarts, then I'll come up with a book that they will read to try to develop street smarts faster because with Amazon, how you have to deal with Amazon itself and how you deal with competitors, I think you really need street smarts to be a marketplace seller. <laughs> All three books, I will take them. I just finished working backwards not a long yep. time ago. So I love it, love it, love it, love it. Last yeah. question, how can people get a hold of you? Say hello, find out more about what you're doing. Yeah, of course. So my name is Chris McCabe and my email is Chris, C-H-R-A-S at ecommercechris.com. Uh, you can also go through our inbox, which goes to several people, which is support at ecommercechris.com. And then you mentioned the uh, the podcast, Seller Performance Solutions. Um, Seller Velocity Conference is the conference we do every year. We haven't picked a date and, and uh, location for that yet. Uh, that's a good way to meet us in person if you're if you're not going to something like the prosper show which is in las vegas next month um Sella velocity conference is a good place to find us 100 thank you so so much again for your time and i, I love this episode it was rather than just how to like 
not be desperate to how to prepare mm -hmm. for it. And I, I love it. Actually, this is a good one. <laughs> I think you and I have the same brain. We think yeah. of this stuff the same way. So let's do yeah. this again. Let's do this again. Let's continue also on the black hat stack list or whatever things that we have to be prepared of. So yeah, let's do a second yeah. one for this. Happy one. to do another one. Mm -hmm. Love it. Thank you so much for being in the podcast and to our amazing listeners. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next Wednesday. Till then, see you. Bye-bye.